This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments, allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Vic Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is Dr. Vic, and you are listening to The Mindful Experiment. Excited to have you on today as we had an amazing guest that we interviewed who is a fusion scientist, right? And then sometimes when you say that, people are like, what's a fusion scientist? What is that all about? And I'm not going to take her thunder away. She can, you'll listen to her share that uh, when we get into the episode. But Tara Youngblood is a fusion scientist, but also a visionary leader in the future of sleep-driven health, combining multiple disciplines, including alternative medicine, physics, and sleep diagnostics. She works with leading international researchers to further studies on cold therapy and its impact on sleep, and she wrote and published the leading white paper connecting more than 70 research papers to the effects of temperature on sleep quality, and as an expert in sleep science, she is highly regarded and sought-after international speaker. 
Tara's research has led to more than a dozen patent filings, and she is the co-founder, along with her husband, Todd, of Cryo Inc. They are the inventors of the chili pad. At Cryo, she contributes to the strategic direction and daily operations of the company, and she also serves as the chief science officer. Tara is also a wife, a mother, a passionate global traveler, and has spearheaded multiple community philanthropic philanthropic (laughs) activities and international relief trips. Tara is continually seeking new opportunities to improve the quality of life by those most affected with sleep disorders, and her and her family sleep soundly at their home in Charlotte, North Carolina. This interview was amazing. It was great. You can hear she's very passionate about what she does. She's very excited of the work she's doing. And we really get into the science of sleep, sleep deprivation, how can you enhance it? What are the things we can do? What's the new leading research out there? And so much more. I can't tell you how excited I was when I went when we did this episode, make sure you got a pen and paper. Make sure you can focus on this episode because there's a lot of good nuggets that she shares on what you can do to empower your sleep. So not to take any more thunder away from her, here is Tara Youngblood. Well, Tara, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on. Um, you're a pioneer in what you're doing, a leading thought in, in, in sleep and, and with the chili pad and everything you invented and whatnot. Um, it's really exciting to have you on. I'm a big fan, so this is going to be a lot of fun. Great. I'm, I'm excited to be here. So you're a fusion scientist, and I know, uh, first off, I'm just curious, how did you get into, be, what, what interested you, what moved you towards that direction in your life? So, in a very geeky way, since I was a little girl, I wanted to be an astrophysicist. Um, I love the idea of physics and and everything about it. I really have. That's super geeky, I know, from from the time I was little. Um, When I went to school, my mentor at school was Lawrence Doyle. Um, He's retired now, but he was part of a SETI project and had just some great inspiration. But at that time energy and fusion and some of those articles about cold fish fusion were coming out. Um, and you it was just a, an opportunity for a great new energy source. It's what the sun does. Um, it's byproducts are way healthier than nuclear fission. Um, and it was at that point going to be my dream to change how the world uses energy. Uh, so it was, it was exciting when I graduated though. Um, the U S had one Institute of Prince, uh, Princeton had a location where you could study fusion engineering and they were shutting it down. It was basically, they were giving up on fusion as an energy. Um, China has hybrid reactors. France has a hybrid reactor. There's other countries that are still sort of pursuing that as at least as a hybrid option. Um, but the U.S. doesn't do it anymore. So it's kind of sad. So I had to take a different direction. Um, kind of went into product development instead. Um, part of that is I met my husband in college. Uh, his uncle invented the waterbed. And we went to go work for him after we got out of college. And it was just amazing fun to invent products. That is so awesome. I think that's so cool. And, and why, you know, because I heard about this, is I'm assuming this fusion, uh, I think it was China that came out that they've created a model or prototype to potentially be mimic what the sun does in a sense. 
Yeah, they're getting closer. The tricky part is, and the, the best explanation I ever heard in layman's terms is every time you move an electron, so every, you know, this gets into EMF, so we can get into EMFs and sleep at some point, but every time you move an electron, that means electricity anywhere, electron moves. You create a magnetic field. The size of that depends on how much electricity is flowing and how it's flowed, but that process of, of creating this magnetic field is tricky in the sense that plasma is basically loose electrons. Everything is so hot that it's it, all the bonds are so loose. So holding a fusion reaction is equivalent of holding jello with shoelaces. So if you took a big block of jello and you have to hold it with shoelaces, you, there's no container on earth that can hold a fusion reaction in the sense of like concrete or, or the things we think of as containers. It has to be held in a magnetic field. And of course, when you move those electrons, then the magnetic field shifts. And so it is, it's like holding jello. So it's definitely not an easy problem to tackle because it's it's constantly moving and changing and energy is chasing energy is is really fun that way i think i've evolved to chase energy in people and that's where i love the idea of mindfulness i love the idea of intention and what those do in the human body and how they change energy in the human body is a is a whole other side passion and it does change sleep what you think about it how you think about it it's a small intention habit to change how you think about sleep will change the kind of sleep you get Pretty cool. And you brought up EMF. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, uh, we can go right into it. How does uh, modern society with all the EMFs that we're exposed to in a, you know, in a daily basis, and especially with sleep, um, how does that interfere with sleep? How does it decrease our quality of sleep and things along that nature? Yeah, so EMFs, I think are only going to become more a part of the conversation as 5G comes online. Um, we we're going to get further and further away from having a state or a place in our lives where we don't have EMFs as part of that. And again, I'd said an EMF is, is an electromagnetic field. There's two different types. So the, the background noise of what the earth does, um, the earth puts off a magnetic field, but it's pulsing. And when it's pulsing, it actually has a, a healthy aspect. You can use PEMFs to heal um, a constant current or that direct current is when it's constant and there's no break from it. When you put your cells in that state, it really puts them under a state of stress. So they can't escape that stress. So there's all sorts of results from EMFs. The most documented one is cancer. So most of the studies put people close to power lines. That's a big source of EMFs. But as we you know, and before you figure 50 years ago, that was the closest we had to a big source of constant EMFs with someone living near a power uh, line or a, or a big power source. Um, and the equivalent is we've now added Wi-Fi, we've added EMFs, our houses are smart and wired, which is super fun and easy from uh, just a lifestyle perspective, but it's really not good for our cells. When you combine the fact that sleep is really about healing, our body's looking to escape whatever we did to it during the day. We want to recover from that. We want to eliminate those stress points. And if we're constantly in EMF and we can't escape it, it doesn't. our body can't heal from it. So true in so many levels. I mean, so it's, and I think, we, especially like you said, with 5G, it's only going to get, uh, more intense. Is there 
things that people can do because people will hear this and then be like, well, great, I'm out of luck. I have, this is just what it is. I can't do anything about this. Um, are there things for people that can do for the listeners and so forth to empower themselves and kind of ward away, protect, or those are methods and things along that nature? Yeah. So, I mean, some of the habits you can put around is at least to turn off your Wi-Fi at night, um, turn off as much electricity at night, sort of try to keep your space. Now, if you're in an apartment building, that's harder than as if you're in a house, it's separate, you know, so some of those will change depending on the environment you're in. But I, I think the one thing to keep in mind about EMFs, um, I know some people will be panicked about what that looks like and how much is going on. Different people will have different sensitivity to it. Um, it's something to keep in mind. It's something to manage to have outside time away from EMFs. It's about taking a break. Um, the studies do show that if you can take a break from it, even for short periods of time, that does give your body a break from that constant barrage. It's equivalent of, of sunscreen in the, in the sun, walking outside won't kill you, but you don't want to sit and fry in the UV rays. EMFs are really pretty similar. You need to just make sure you're, you're being moderate with it and try to eliminate as much exposure where you can. Very cool. And I know you talked a little bit about pulse electromagnetic field um, with healing and so forth. Have any studies or anything you've looked into how it can help with, with sleep at all or anything like that? Yes. Yeah, so uh, we do a Imagine a future state where healing happens at night because it's easy. You're asleep um, and you can schedule healing to happen during the night. And PEMF is a great way. Any of those physics interactions of temperature and light, PEMF, um, those are, are great ways to interact with your sleeping body. Um, PEMFs um, have been shown to help with multiple areas. Um, FDA has approved them for a lot of sort of depression and some of those treatments. They're not used as much as they were probably 10 years ago, but there is definitely efficacy on matching your brain waves. So if you're sitting next to a PEMF or on a PEMF mat, depending on the strength of the, the magnetic field, your brain waves will actually match that, like it wants to match that state. So for sleep, one of the ways you can use PEMF is to calm your brain down and to sort of encourage it to have a wavelength of a slower wave sleep. That's pretty cool. So that's it basically helps allow people to restore in a, uh, a deeper state of restorative sleep then. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, is there anything with it to also um, with PMF, um, the pulsing and because I've read some people say like is if you plug it into a wall, you're part of the electrical grid. So it, it's not like um, uh, some people get nitpicky on this, but it's like, well, you're still into the grid system. So that's still it's good, but it's not. Well, let me go back. Hold on. I got my other question. I got my original question. <laughs> sure. But basically, what I wanted to ask was, is with, with the Wi-Fi and everything we're exposed to, does PMF create like a protection barrier or does it just help like the body ground? I know with the brain and the way uh, brain waves changing, but does it help in those kind of things also? It can, you know, 
the biggest thing about uh, PEMFs and magnetic fields, and it goes back to the science class where you had the two magnets, you know, the strength of the magnet is going to be what is able to disrupt or not disrupt something. So your PEMF, if you want it to disrupt EMFs, it'll have to, the gauss of, or that's the measurement of the strength of magnetic field, will have to be stronger. It'll have to sort of... Uh, basically block it out. So if you look at those sort of fields, and it sounds very sci-fi, but if you are using a magnetic field as a blocker, other ways to block it out are equivalent of what's called a Faraday cage. Um, and that's sort of using a mesh metal, those will block it out. Um, there's ways to do that, you know, that are less ugly than a, just a big mesh cage. Um, there are some grounding sheets and some things that will do, do some dampening for sure that are, um, those are becoming um, more standardized. You just have to watch because the science, like you said, some of it, um, the claims, you have to sort of measure what they're doing and, and, and do it. The, the efficacy or the testing or the sort of consumer protection on some of those interventions can get a little bit iffy um, on where they're coming from. It, it's not as easy as just throwing something against the wall. <laughs> no, totally. And I only ask because I mean, I use PMF. I have a grounding sheet too, so that I can like, um, I seen one person have a gauss meter and they were on a front of a computer and then they grounded themselves and it was like it drastically dropped almost zero. And I was like, holy cow, that's pretty cool. Um, no, that doesn't, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, the, yeah, the grounding is definitely, um, you know, something that really helps, you know, it goes back to the, the visual is obviously that's how electricity as lightning works. Um, you know, it's, it can be really complicated stuff, but it can also be really simple. Um, if you're grounded, you know, you're going to displace that energy. It's like static electricity or lightning. It'll go and be grounded if possible, if it'll diffuse from you. Um, and the important thing to keep in mind is if you've ever held two live wires together, like you, there, it's a pretty thin little barrier between you and that live wire. Um, it doesn't take very much to create insulation. So, you know, just make sure that you're looking at the whole system because people will get grounding sheets and then wear pajamas and not really have any physical contact with it. You want to make sure that you're, you're really thinking about materials and the whole equation because it's, it's easy to say, well, I put that on, but then you never have contact with grounding. It's, it'd be the equivalent of wearing rubber soled shoes and talk, walking on the grass. That's not going to ground you either. So you just have to, just keep in mind uh, how you're using each of those interactions. Now, I thank you for bringing that up too, because that's something I see as an error people do all the time. Um, like you said, go to bed, grounding sheets, and they have BJs on. And I'm always like, ah, you need to contact that skin to it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's, it, I have, the, I, it is, it's remarkable. They're like, really? I'm like, well then hold two live wires with that thin little piece of plastic. You're not getting electrocuted. Now you take that off and you'll, you know, you'll, immediately feel the difference. So yeah, con it has to be contact. I love it. So let's get into uh, temperature. And uh, I've, I've done my vast amount of research on this, but I am excited to pick your brain on all this. Um, when it comes to, well, first off, just this temperature, why is it temperature regulation during sleep so important, especially like from an evolutionary standpoint? Yeah, so uh, there's a couple different ways I approach it. One is is entropy in physics, and we'll get there. But the um, environmental impact of what we've done in our lives in the last 50 years with air conditioning and climate control is we've eliminated any 
degree of change that happens throughout our day. We do the same with lights and blue light, but temperature specifically, we, we set our house temperature and for the most part, you know, it doesn't vary between winter and spring. It doesn't vary between morning and night. There's no seasonality. There's no change throughout the day. So it's a major trigger for your circadian rhythm. So there's actually uh, Clifford Sapir out of Harvard first coined the term sleep switch. Um, the LPO neurons in your brain are actually triggered by temperature. Um, so if there's no change in temperature, your body doesn't automatically want to to change into the next state. And what happens is if they don't get um, sort of excited or, or triggered, then you're not going to release melatonin because that's where that melatonin trigger is located. It's, it's a result of temperature. Um, so we're, we're kind of sabotaging ourselves when we do that. The other thing that happens in the environment is we've created these wonderful foam, soft, cushy beds with big, well-insulated covers. So once we get our, our 96 to 98 degrees self underneath those covers, we're creating a space that heats up in that little, like an oven, like a bread oven that you're, you've insulated your engine and it, whatever temperature you set your room to is great, but it's only your head that's in that environment anymore. And that's why a lot of people, the pillow feels hot. Your body's working really hard to vent everything it can out of that little area, surface area. And so we've kind of sabotaged what our body wants to do, which is cool down at night so we can get deep sleep. Interesting. So besides, besides changing the room temperature, there are other things that people can do to um, kind of lower uh, the temperature. Well, well, first off, what is the temperature that's kind of ideal or is it different for every person? It is a little different for every person. I think that's where we need to we still want to think in terms of that ambient environment or our house environment. Um, when you're looking at changing something, that's why taking a bath or having a shower before bed, having a significant temperature change on your body. So when you come out of your shower, you're having a significant drop. So you want to at least in order to trigger that experience, you want something that's about 10 degrees different from your body temperature and a, a warm bath would be that way. Um, a shower those kind of equivalents, even putting on socks for some people will be enough for a lot of people that won't be enough, but for some people that's enough. Um, but you, yeah, you need to try to imagine that you're, you're trying to move that core body temperature, even just 0.1 degree lower to sort of, uh, trigger that. And if you heat up your outside, your core will move that to the outside. That's sort of that, that circulation thing happening. Very interesting. Because I know from like even a neurological standpoint, if you like do a hot shower or a hot bath and then cool off naturally before you go to bed, it tricks the brain to get like ready. Like it's thinking it's, oh, we're cooling down. We're going to sleep. It kind of preps in a sense. It does. And it, it does. It triggers those neurons. Um, so, you know, there, there are definitely hacks, but, you, you know, temperature is one of those powerful, really easy, unconscious. It talks to your unconscious brain. It's not a something you can think through temperature just just does it it's pretty magical i love it and i love you brought this up already but i just want to go into it a little bit more about like why is it more important to have a cool surface on the bed versus just having a cold uh ambient temperature in the room yeah so it does go back to all that insulation memory foam is an amazing material but what it does all those little bubbles that make 
it really soft and comfortable to sleep on. They absorb the heat coming off of your body. What it does do is they can only absorb so much. So once they've hit max absorption, they actually reflect that back. Unfortunately, the time frame for that is about four hours, which is sort of peak when your body would really like to be two degrees cooler. And so what happens for a lot of people is they wake up in the middle of the night and they're like, oh, I just wake up in the middle of the night or because I have to use the restroom. But if you're in deep sleep, your body actually um, puts out hormones that are that make you not have to use the restroom, antidiuretics. Um, so that hormone doesn't happen if you're not in deep sleep. And if you're in deep sleep, it does. So you won't get up to have to use the restroom. One of the big indicators you're not in deep sleep is is temperature. Temperature has a big impact on that. So it, it kind of goes hand in hand. Very cool. And um, is there like a specific mattress or type of mattress fabric making, uh, like, you know, I know you mentioned memory foam a little bit here and there, um, that you would say like, this is kind of good to do for mattress or is it doesn't matter in this day and age? You know, it, it's definitely a complex question. Um, I my bias is going to show here, but mattresses are basically comfortable couches. So, you know, you need to pick what's comfortable for you, what's the right pressure setting, what feels good to sleep on. The bias towards natural materials or breathable materials is obviously there. But if you want that pressure sensitivity of a foam or a memory foam, then I would say then you have to find another way to manage that temperature. Gotcha. And so is this where you kind of, was this the thought process of where the spawn of creating and inventing the, the chili pad came from or how'd that come about? And will that, or let me, I'm sorry, let me take that back. Well, let's go into there and then we'll talk about the chili pad in full. Yeah. So um, the fun part is Todd's uncle invented the waterbed. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, we kind of got into product development design. Uh, we went on our own to do that in 2000. Um, at that point, uh, we've had uh, four boys. So and Todd's a hot sleeper. So you combine a pregnant woman and a hot guy and that's not a very comfortable sleeping arrangement both people are really hot <laughs> the whole time. Um, and right about, you know, 2007 was kind of that peak of select comfort and personalized pressure. Tempur-Pedic was sort of the peak of the memory foams coming out. Everyone was talking about this adjustability and individualized comfort and microclimate seats were using TECs or Peltier chips to, you know, adjust temperature for each side of the car. And we're like, well, you should do that in the bed because I want to set my own temperature. So it was really <laughs> came about as this way to manage individual temperature. Uh, it wasn't really until after we'd been selling it for a couple of years that people would be approaching us or calling us and saying, hey, I track my sleep. I track resting heart rate. Um, we've had, at that point, we had an Olympic, the women's Olympic cycling team um, was sleeping on it. And they're like, they're, we're getting great results. Results. We're changing deep sleep. We're changing numbers of people that are. We're really tracking it. We and that's where my research was like. Okay, there's the scientist to me is like there's something really cool happening here. What is what is working in this you know system that's different than just comfort? Because it was definitely triggering different sleep architecture, and that's more than just being a little bit more comfortable. No, that's one thing I love the chili pad because um, just to have that preference because my wife is, she needs a ton of comforters, PJs and all that. And I'm like, please, less is more because it is it's just, 
heat up at night. It's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, for the listeners, can you kind of share what is the chili pad and kind of break that down a little bit for them? Yeah, so it really is, if you look at your body as a human engine, it's really a radiator for your human engine body. It's uh, water tubes that go underneath your body. Um, There's a control unit that sits next to the bed. That's what keeps the EMFs out of your bed. And it basically just circulates water, so you're actively cooling your body the entire time. So whatever temperature you set it at, it'll stay at that temperature throughout the night or really until you turn it off. Very cool. And is there, you know, you talked about deep sleep, restorative sleep. I've, you know, I've read the studies and stuff. It's very, very cool. Um, knowing, is there like a certain, I know this is going to be, <laughs> in my profession, everything, everyone's different. There's no one person that's the same or two people that are the same, but is there a rough temperature range? Cause I know it goes from like 55 degrees to I think a 90 or a hundred or something or 80, the temperature for the chili pad. Yeah. So, uh, I like to look at it, we call it onboarding, but the onboarding procedure when someone asks me that question, usually I back it up to say there's really three sections of temperature throughout the night. Um, You want to think about what temperature you like to climb into that bed, and that's where your wife would be like, I like it warm. So she should definitely start somewhere around body temperature, and you like it cold, so you should definitely start somewhere around room temperature and climbing in when the sheets are cool and go down from there. Um, That's the first bucket of the night. Within 20 minutes of falling asleep, because temperature really helps with sleep latency latency or the ability to fall asleep, you want to lower that as low as you can. And for most people, if she was starting at that body temperature, you want to go 15 degrees cooler for her because that's that's what's going to help trigger that change into deep sleep. If you're starting at 68, you want to, you know, that window is a little bit less because your body's already triggering that as you get started. So even within five degrees of just going a little bit lower, somewhere between two to four, depending on when you go to sleep, your body's going to sort of uh, peak or sort of hit that valley of temperature and hit its lowest point, which is on average two degrees cooler than wherever your baseline is. And it does fluctuate a little bit for each person. Um, And after that hits that sort of valley point, it starts rising. And that's where you can use temperature to actually change your architecture from a REM cycle if you start warming up slightly, so you're back up uh, for you, I'd say around ambient temperature. For her, it's going to be a little closer to that body temperature, maybe not all the way up to body temperature, but somewhere there. What happens then is you actually trigger the release of cortisone, which will help push you out of those sleep cycles, and it'll actually have you be awake and ready because your body wants a little burst of cortisone. That's where exercising in the morning is another way to get that. Getting out in the sunshine is another way to get that, but temperature is a nice way so when you wake up, you're kind of primed for the day. This is like neurohacking all in itself. Would you agree? <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's super fun. I like, I like playing with people's minds in a good way. But it's cool because you can, you, you're, you're, I always say you want to create an environment for success and you're doing that by working. I love how you broke down the temperature kind of variants. It's like in 20 minutes you want to be here. And then at this point, so basically let's say, if, Let's say the individual, because I know Americans are sleeping less and less. I forgot what the new research just shows. I think it's like 6.8 hours or nine hours average or something like that. Might be lower. Uh, don't quote mm-hmm. me on it. Um, but let's say eight hours of sleep. So would you recommend that like if someone's using this, 
and they get they get the product. They want to decrease to about up to the first four hours of sleep. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. That first that first half of the night is really focused on that deep sleep. And if you are tracking your sleep, that is one of the really interesting things about watching the temperature. You'll if right now you see you know the when they call the typical hypnograph. Uh, it makes me nuts because they're 90 sleep cycles. They will kind of show more deep sleep in that first half. But if, like, as I use the aura ring for tracking, but if you track it, you look at it, like, I get probably 90% of my deep sleep in the first half of the night, and I hit two hours at least all the time, and I don't need eight hours to do that. I can get that in six. That's one of the studies we're doing um, sort of uh, to with veterans um, and with active duty soldiers that only get six hours of sleep, that we can improve that sleep density. Um, and the historical evidence would say, you know, there's some studies, uh, Jerry Siegel out of UCLA did a really uh, groundbreaking study on hunters and gatherers sleep, and they didn't sleep eight hours. They slept, you know, 5.9 to 6.7, 6.8. Um, and they were triggered by temperature. That was one of the big results of that. So if we're using temperature as a way to sort of optimize our sleep and improve that sleep density, we don't have to get eight hours. We do if we aren't getting good quality sleep, the longer time in bed up to about nine hours will will sort of improve your chances of getting deep sleep. But if you don't want to play the, the odds game of what you're going to get, temperature is a great way to hack that because we, we lose deep sleep as we get older. It's just a fact someone at 80 may not get any deep sleep but temperature can hack that and they can still get two hours if they want it i love that and so true i did a you ever hear of the the sleep machine it, it they went out of business and i thought it was uh, amazing at what they did uh zeo yes yeah, Zio is great. We know some of the people that founded it still, and they did some great studies with ChiliPad. Actually, the, they did a groundbreaking one on the warm awake feature we have in, in Uller. Um, they were just great. Zio did it. Just, they were, unfortunately, I think they're just ahead of their time. I think so, because I did a lot of experimenting with that. And what you were saying is true, because I, I was trying to hack with temperature. I would lower my room down to like 60-something degrees. I didn't have it as controlled as with the, with the chili pad. but um, And then I did, of course, a little sleeping and supplements, all these different things. And I was sleeping five hours a night, but I was getting the equivalent restorative and REM of over eight. Yeah, um, it's 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 pretty magical. Like I said, uh, it, it's uh, the – science of fatigue and recovery metrics when you get good deep sleep. So your HRV recovery for athletes, we've literally got everyone from royalty to past presidents to uh, professional athletes, uh, any celebrity category you want uh, are using this to hack their sleep. It's, It's pretty amazing that way. Awesome. And for some of the biohackers and people like to hack as much as they can, I have some listeners that do that. Um, is there, I mean, you said the aura ring, is there, is that what you would recommend or something that you can do to track to see the evidence of how you're sleeping and, and, and monitoring it and so forth? 
Yeah, and, and full disclosure, I don't, I don't have any affiliation with Aura other than we're very friendly. We do co-sponsor uh, co studies together. Um, Aura Ring, I feel like, is uh, personally as good as PSG. PSG is obviously what you do in the sleep lab, but um, the difference of a sleep lab is when you do a PSG, you've got wires hanging out of you, you're in a sleep lab, you're not in your home environment, and you're laying on your back trying to sleep. Um, now, their measurement is very accurate, but then your sleep quality is, is sleep lab quality. Um, Aura Ring um, is supposed to be, according to their documentation, as close to 90% accurate as a PSG, but you're able to sleep, well, you can take it anywhere, but you can sleep in your home environment um, and you get really great accuracy. Their deep sleep numbers um, feel really accurate to me on that day-to-day -day basis. Um, you know, I was just at a biohacking conference in London. Um, Dave Asprey is uh, one of our investors. Um, we were really friendly in the biohacking world, and it is, it is, the Aura Ring is, is highly used in that environment. Yeah, I've heard about it for a couple of years. I have patients that use it and I was always on the fence. I'm like, cause I was so, I love Zeo so much when it was out. I wouldn't, it's when it was comparable. This. It's okay. comparable. Cool. I'll yeah. have to check you that will, out. you will fall in love. <laughs> I miss my, uh, biohacking with sleep and all that fun stuff. Yeah, it, it, it really is. It's, it's, it's just a, a great device for that. Um, and the results we're getting in, in sleep studies and labs of combining that is, is really pretty magical. That's so awesome. And so you, you talked a little bit about chili pad. I know you brought up Uller. I would love to know for the listeners a little bit more about that. And I'm assuming that that's your new product you guys just came out with not too long ago, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, you know, when I talked about being able to, to sort of look at those three buckets, really the difference between chili pad and Uller, there's some other small physical changes as well. But the biggest one for me is the scheduling. So chili pad is your traditional thermostat where you set it, forget it, until you decide to change that dial, it's going to be at whatever temperature you put it at. Um, Uller allows you to schedule, and that's where, you know, looking at those different buckets. Um, for me, I used to hack the chili pad because I do like to go to bed in a warm bed. Um, I would go to sleep. I'd heat it up before I go to sleep, and then just before I sort of put down my book and turn off the light, I'd, I'd turn it down in temperature and sort of hack that way. There was still a lot of mornings I'd wake up feeling chilly because it was a little too cold, um, for that morning section. So this is a way to sort of get around that. It's got multiple fan speeds. You know, it's just sort of an evolution of what we learned, what we got feedback from our customers on the chili pad. Um, so it, it kind of is just that next evolution. Yeah, and I love the scheduling feature. I think that that's what it sold me on. It's just nice to program it. And especially it warms up in the morning so that you can schedule it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, which, cause then I get, I get, for me personally, I get hot and I'm like, okay, I gotta bed. I can't stand this anymore. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's crazy. A lot of people think, well, I like a warm snuggly bed, but when you heat up at that time of day, it really changes your sleep architecture, just like cold does in the middle, the first part of the night, it truly changes your sleep cycles and you get such shallow sleep that you won't stay asleep. So true. And uh, have you done any, with all the temperature and the studies that you guys done and so forth, um, I know we talk a lot about restorative sleep, but how about REM? Because I know that decreases also as we get older. Um, anything done with the temperature changes and all that to help improve deeper REM aspects? 
Yeah, so I will say that if you are getting full eight hours, the REM sleep and the scheduling part, that's where being a little bit warmer in that second half of the night, that also improves the quality of the REM sleep. Um, we do find that if you're a short sleeper, your body will have a preference towards the deep sleep. So if you're sleeping really cold and you only have six hours, it may steal from REM sleep. Um, and that's just that has not been fully documented. That's just my experience with it. Um, so it is, you have to be careful because your REM sleep really wants to be that second half of the night focus. Um, so you really need to make sure your, your temperature is moderate for that part. One of the things I was curious about too, is that for um, the REM style, I'm losing my, I had the thought in my head when you were talking, apologize. Um, REM sleep. Um, anywho, I forgot. So when it warms up, then that is this, that's where REM will come in more than it is. It's, it's definitely focused the second half of the night. If you look at light sleep as, as the ribbon that connects all sleep states that exists from the start of your sleep to the end of your sleep. And then, um, and it's kind of that middle of the line sleep, your deep sleep is going to be below that line for the first half and your REM sleep. You want to be above that line for the second half. Um, you know, what happens in order, if you look at your memories, especially, you just focus on memories, what happens during deep sleep is what piles up over a period of two weeks with whatever you're putting in your head, cognitive load, experiences, that sort of gets filtered out over two weeks. And that's how your body sort of cleans its desk. So whatever files and stuff you put on top of your desk every night during deep sleep, it's going to work on filing those memories, deciding what to keep because it all gets kind of held in the hypothalamus until that decision of do I file this or throw it out? Is it just fluffiness or is it stuff I need to keep? That happens there. The REM sleep is definitely where there's an emotional attachment and it decides where to stick those memories based on emotional attachment. And if you think about it in terms of if you had, uh, were a hunter-gatherer and you had an experience with a lion, it has to decide how am I going to file that? Am I going to file it by like what location I ran into that? Am I going to file it with um, sort of what other relevant experiences? Well, we were out hunting together and I need to think about how we strategically handled that. It's going to decide where to put that. And that REM sleep has happens after you've basically filed the bulk stuff and categorized it. And then it can decide what, what you want to do with that REM sleep uh, or those memories during REM sleep. Very interesting. So if you get deep, so then we just say if you get deeper REM sleep or better REM sleep, um, then uh, memory is more improved and things along that nature because of how it stores and how the brain takes. Uh, is that part of the RES, a reticular activating system too, like knowing what you were paying a lot of value to for the day also? It does, you know, and I think that uh, the future, I hope, with more research will be on being able to say, uh, a student, for example, I've got a high cognitive load, I need to focus on the following kind of sleep in the following ways, and we should be able to focus our sleep as we need it. As an athlete, uh, you would focus your sleep differently and say, well, I've got to run a marathon tomorrow. Not that I don't care what happens to my memories or my emotions, I need to be uh, strong and have high willpower to get through that marathon, but I want to want to focus my sleep on that body recovery, that that sort of more athletic performance. I really see a future where we can focus our sleep on what we need out of the day. 
That'd be pretty cool. Would you say that deep, and I'm just throwing this out here as a question's coming to my head, uh, deep restorative sleep is more for restoring the body where REM is more for sharp, because I've read studies too, but like REM is actually what helps keep the brain young and helps with memory and that. But um, leading towards what you're kind of seeing, is that like one of the ways that it could be looked into that way? Like for an athlete, you want to focus more on deep restorative to repair the body and those types of things? Um, you know, I think that's what the current literature is leading towards. Um, you know, if you look at sleep research in general, you know, it really started actively 20 years ago. It's only ramping up in, in the number of people that are participating, number of institutions participating. You figure uh, 20 years ago, your primary care physician maybe spent 10 minutes talking about sleep as part of the residency. Now it's a much bigger part of that conversation. It's, it's just changing. The importance of sleep is changing. And I think that as we evolve, what we think about in terms of what's happening during sleep is really changing. I was at a conference at MIT Media Lab about dream engineering. And we're, you know, until now, when someone's dreaming, we don't other than we can look at the um, PSG and say, oh, they're probably dreaming now, but we don't know what they're dreaming and why and what's happening during that, but we're refining the ability to have uh, memory visualization while they're going through dreams. We're, we're refining how we can test and, and look at those experiences. We're refining how we can view the brain and what's happening on a brain level and on a body level people are sleeping. It's really just the very tippiest, tippiest forefront of sleep research. And I think in the next 10 years, it's going to explode on all the things we know about sleep. That's pretty cool. So there's some exciting times ahead for us. I think so. Cause uh, you know, they're looking at everything from creativity is another one that's very hard to quantify during sleep. Um, but it's a really interesting phenomena. If you haven't Googled hypergogic sleep, um, there's some fun facts and interest around that. Um, Thomas Edison sort of made it most famous using his steel balls. So he would, um, hypergogic sleep is in the first five minutes of falling asleep. It's possibly your most creative time, your brain throws out any physical limitations, any physical laws. That's when you're able to fly like Superman, if you picture that. So as far as problem solving, it's just the best time of sleep to, to go and sleep on it, if you want to put that in quotations. So Thomas Edison would hold steel balls, and he'd lay um, on his workbench in his workshop. And when he would fall asleep, because in that part of that sleep, you lose the ability to hold on to those balls, you, you relax and uh, your muscles all relax. So when they dropped, he would wake up. And that's how he credits solving a lot of problems. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci, lots of different creative people have used that technique. Um, in some form or another, but there's also creativity is another big part of sleep that people are highly exploring right now. And I think there'll be really good information on soon. That's pretty cool. It's the first time to hear about it. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to dive in and play with that for a little bit. Yeah, definitely Google it. If you do Google uh, Thomas Edison, hypergogic, or even steel balls, you'll see there's pictures that exist of him doing it. Holy cow. Very cool. Um, yeah. Cause I know some of the, like I've, I mean, I've, I've, I haven't done as much extensive research at all as sleep like you have, but um, like even some of the greats who did like polyphasic sleeping and stuff along those natures. But I know it's um, like, I know Nikola, Nikola Tesla did that, but he mm -hmm. kind of went uh, 
I think he did it for like two weeks and then he was kind of losing his mind supposedly from what they said or something along those lines. Um, uh, yeah, you it, have to be careful with it, but I, I do think there's a huge, huge place for it when you look at circadian rhythms and being able to define chronotype by person. Um, my husband, Todd, is a perfect example of a polyphasic sleeper. He's a night owl. He doesn't generally sleep a lot at night. He's a six-hour sleeper, but he can do a 20-minute power nap like nobody's business, and it's really recovering for him. Um, he can even go a little bit longer. He can even get a little deep sleep, which a lot of people say is a big no-no, but for his sleep pattern, it works perfectly. It would totally ruin me. So, it is really important to like whenever I just hate whenever someone says this is the rule you shouldn't do it. Um, there's always exceptions. There's always uh, particular types of people that they can make that work. Um, but a lot of people napping is coming around for that reason because there are a lot of individuals that polyphasic sleep can really work for. Yeah, I mean, I was reading. I, I do a lot of research on uh, like peak performance, maximizing. How can we like define the laws and break them with the body and things that we do? And um, one of them was talking about peak performances, like how athletes and and individuals thrive beyond um, going to the limits that we can't even imagine. And one of the things they talked about was napping was a big part of or resting in general. But the, they got into the science of napping and how it's actually building a lot of credibility to show like, yeah, napping is actually not a bad thing. And then you look at some of the history of some very successful people. I forgot what president it was, but he would nap every day at 12 o'clock. No one can bother him because of that. Yeah. Na napping. I do. I feel like that's where in the early years of sleep research, some of these edicts came down uh, almost like old wives tales of like, this is the way it has to be. Um, and I do think as sleep research moves on, we're going to throw that out. We've, you know, epigenetics, uh, phenotypes, chronotypes, really separating people into tribes almost of, of what works for someone. And I think that's part of the biohacking is no one biohack is going to work for everybody, but it's going to work for some part of the population and they're going to thrive on it. And I think it's about figuring out which of those tribes for that intervention is for you. Temperature may not work for everybody. Some people, their temperature thermostat is, is just works perfectly. They don't get high fevers when they get sick. Uh, their thermostat works really well and it may not be a great hack for them. Light may be the hack for them. Sound may be the hack for them. It's, it's, I really am a big advocate of find the habits that work for you and use them use them to the limit. Like just, just figure out what your limits are and how you can make it work. I love how you bring that up because that's how I, I'm a big, all about being the, letting people be individuals and discover what works for them. Um, would you then say like for someone who's trying to figure out, let's say they, they, they love what you're sharing about the chili pad, the Uller and all that. And they try the temperature route, you know, what are, I mean, besides the, you know, there's the aura ring, but let's say temperature helps them, but it's not as great. They do light. How would you recommend someone to go through the patterns of trying to figure out what works and how would they know that they got there. So, you know, I think a good baseline is to try to get at least two hours of deep sleep. Um, right now, uh, that is the best measurement we have as far as quality of sleep that is going to change your health metrics. So when we combine deep sleep over time, you see a change in HRV stress reduction 
overall improvement if you're uh, autoimmune disease, any of those um, chronic disease scenarios, deep sleep over time has an impact on, on those. So I think it's a good place to start. Um, you know, I think temperature is, is uh, can be subtle. Like I said, there may be some people that it's not as effective on, but a huge swath of the population for temperature. And that's because it really talks to the old part of your brain, old part as far as evolutionary old, when you get down into that brainstem unconscious part of your brain, that's just old brain stuff, you know, very low on the evolutionary ladder people have, if, if the, if the being species has a brainstem, um, they may not have a prefrontal cortex. So that all that conscious stuff that we think about is, uh, way further up the ladder than this unconscious temperature part. So stick with the physics, like my bias, um, interactions of light and sound and temperature and the things that are going to talk to that part of your brain first because that's basic and you don't need willpower if it works it'll work for you and you don't have to think about it like a diet or exercise plan couldn't agree with you more and, I, and it and some it's always good to go to the basics right the reptilian brain and just work at that level for things like this because your body has been conditioned i mean it's an evolutionary process that's happened for who knows how long um and it's one of those things where just doing some simple things like temperature changes because there's a reason why I always love looking at nature because nature always has the answers. Why is it hotter, warmer in the day and cooler at the night? Mm -hmm. And your body evolved in that environment. So it's, it's just a low, to me, it's low hanging fruit. It's a great place to start. I love it. Well, Tara, this was an awesome, uh, I'm so happy to have you on. This was great information that you shared and so forth. And uh, I commend all the work you're doing to really help change the lives of individuals. I can't, from being a chiropractor and having a holistic practice, I know one of the things we analyze a lot is sleep and making sure uh, people are doing that because that is the easiest way to start getting the body to reset and heal it and help it shift and change what it needs to do. So I commend you for all the work that you're doing. Yeah, and I, I, I commend you for sharing that message because I, I do. I feel like uh, sleep has changed my life. I was a chronic not sleeper, and being able to sleep has changed health metrics for me and lots of people. So I appreciate you giving me a chance to uh, have a megaphone and, and share that message. Awesome. For those who are interested, how, they, how, can, how can they connect, how they can learn more about the products and all that? Yeah, so uh, the website is chilitechnology.com. Um, we walk you through all the different product options. Uh, we are about to launch uh, Whiteboard Fridays. Um, so if you have questions, you can email me at sleepgeek at chilitechnology.com. Awesome. Well, Tara, this was a blast. I had a lot of fun. I want to thank you again for being on. Uh, really piqued my geek interest in research, and especially with sleep, and uh, definitely have some new things to go check out and, do, and, and expand even more. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you 
on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.